if you will, open up your Bible to Romans, the 10th chapter. And we had been talking about uh, different events that happened in the book of Acts and how the church grew and how people reached others. And in praying, it just seemed to go a different way, even though, you know, I thought, oh, we would tell the story about uh, Philip going down and how great joy came to the city because people got saved. And I'll tell you what, if you want to change a city and want to get rid of all the junk and want great joy, it's not through politics, it's through the gospel. And the politics change after that. But we need to recognize it's getting the gospel into people, getting people saved that brings great joy. So we're going to change up this morning and maybe preach for a couple weeks about miraculous results or miracles. And, um, you know, when we talk about miracles, sometimes uh, that term can be so diluted in our society because, you know, we talk about uh, miracle drugs. You know, you can take this pill and get miracle results, miraculous results. You know, people talk about if you diet, take this diet pill, you know, the results are not just normal, they're miraculous results, right? Nobody has ever heard that or miracle detergents, you know, use this detergent, miracle detergent. Well, okay, maybe, I'm not sure. I mean, I believe God can help us in a diet. He can help us, I guess, if we believe for our laundry. But when we talk about miraculous results, miraculous literally means this, occurring through a divine or a supernatural intervention or a manifesting of that power. So it's God's power manifesting. So I do know when the children of Israel came out, supernaturally, their laundry was affected. Their clothes never wore out. So that's why I didn't want to knock miracle detergents. But if you just think it's the power of detergent, you're wrong. Okay, you get what I'm saying? In other words, we could believe that our clothes last. And, you know, some we don't want to last. We're like, well, I bought that and it's already not what I wanted. But, you know, we can believe that our stuff will last longer in every area of life. And there, there is a major truth in that. Because uh, death causes decay in things. And God, uh, you know, preserved their shoes, preserved their clothes. So their shoes never wore out while they wandered, you know, in the wilderness. Thank you. So don't curse your tires on your car. Don't curse everything. Uh, believe that God does influence it. But those aren't altogether the miraculous results we're going to talk about today. And so, but, but, you know, is there a real way to have miraculous results? I mean, honestly, in our life. Not, not like, yeah, if I tilt my head like this, I could see God doing something there. No, I mean where there's just no question we get miraculous results. Is there something to miracles? So turn to Romans, the 10th chapter, and we're going to begin here in a maybe a very familiar verse. We know if we do any searching of scripture that Jesus attributed miracles to faith and God doing stuff to people's individual faith. And the Bible says this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And so if faith can be involved and is involved in miracles or miraculous results, we should understand what faith is. I know when uh, they were up here singing, they started to praise about faith and being confident. And, and faith is uh, being confident about something you don't see, being convinced of something that hasn't appeared yet. And that is an ingredient to getting a miracle. And so, but if we need faith, which is confident assurance of something we haven't seen yet, how do we get the faith to start the process of a miracle? Well, Romans 10, 17 tells us. Now, if we try to pray to get faith, that's not how it works. 
It's when we see a truth in the Bible that faith comes to us. Notice Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes. Faith comes. Notice that. Faith comes. That if, if I come to church or you came to church, that means you were somewhere and then you are somewhere now. Or you would be in the same place. But faith comes out of God's word and it doesn't stay there when we read it. It comes into your heart and mind the minute you hear it. The minute you hear it, it's in your heart. It's in your mind. Now somebody say, no, it's not in my heart right away. No, Jesus said the sower sows the word. In other words, the word is spoken, the word is preached, whether you speak it yourself or it's preached, it says the word gets in a person's heart. Now, this is going to be real important today, and you may hear some things a little bit different, but they'll help you. And so it's important to realize faith comes into our heart, but what if I don't see miraculous results right away once I've heard that God says, I've already paid for something, I've already done something for you. In other words, you know, whatever it is, I've blessed your life, but you don't see the blessing in your life. But he said it. You heard it, so that means faith came to you. That means when you heard it, it came. Is that the end of the program? That we hear these things, he's already paid it, but what if I don't see instantaneous results? This is huge. What do I do if I don't see something change today, but God said, it's mine or yours? Well, faith came. But there's an interesting thought, if you will. Turn to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Hebrews 12. And uh, we will begin reading in verse number 2. Remember, faith originates or starts or begins or comes to you the moment you hear. The moment you hear... God has paid for something or he has blessed you, whatever it is, faith came to you. What about after faith comes to you? What about after that? When you haven't seen it immediately, then what? Notice this phrase, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let me read that again. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Notice the phrase. He's the originator and the perfecter of our faith. Notice he didn't just say, he's the one who gets it going. He's the one who starts it out. You could say it like this. Your faith is originated when you first hear. When you first hear, he authors faith. Because think about it. What is an author? It's a person who writes a book. You know, and so he is the one who gives you faith. He's the one who puts faith in you. How do you get faith? When you hear He'll say, you're delivered. You hear that, you accept it, you go, I am. But then, often what people do is he originates faith, but then struggles come. They start looking at their bank account. They start looking at their body. They start looking at their mind. They start looking at everything else. But remember, he said, looking unto Jesus, the author, the starter, the developer, the completer, or the fulfiller of your faith. Notice he didn't just say, if you hear it, you're golden. That's where it starts. That's not where it ends. 
We know that from the parable of the sower in Luke and in Mark, that people heard the word, faith came in their heart, but certain things happened and faith was taken from them. They let go of their faith. So when it says here, looking unto Jesus, the author, the originator, the one who starts it, we get it out of his word, and fulfiller of our faith or the developer of our faith. And then it goes on to say, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, or one translation says disregarding. He didn't regard it. Disregarding the shame. And it says, uh, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now understand this. In this statement, there is a huge uh, thing to be implied and to be applied. Notice he said, looking, 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 looking is more than just uh, look and turn away. Look for a moment, turn away. See, when you look for a moment, faith will come. I read the verse. It says this. But when he says here, looking unto Jesus, he's talking more than a casual glance. Just to look at that scripture, because here's the thing. You can catch some scriptures and quote them, know them, but maybe not working this principle where it can come to fruit or reality or the miracle comes forth in your life. Literally, this word in the Greek doesn't mean to glance. It means to turn the eyes away from other things, to turn your eyes away from one thing, and then to fix them, that's literally how it reads in the Greek, and fix them on something else. So when he said, looking unto Jesus, he didn't mean like look at the picture of Jesus and go, there he is, and you know, or that's what the scripture said, and then turn your eyes back. Really? That is worry. That becomes fear. And so when he said looking, he literally said here, this is what you need to do. Turn your eyes away from other things to get your attention fixed on him. Why? Because he doesn't want you just to have faith that comes to you. He wants faith that comes to you and then produces miraculous results. But it, if you don't see miraculous results immediately, people sometimes don't practice this principle and they see what he said and they're like, yes, that's what he said. But then they turn their eyes away from what he said to something else and they work this principle in reverse. And then they think, why? You know what's interesting about this verse is it's verse 2. I know, that's profound. You know what that means? There's verse 1. Oh, you guys are getting this. And it's the 12th chapter. That means there's an 11th chapter. This is starting to get pretty powerful, right? It's getting deep. So that means verse 1 came before verse 2. And verse 1 may help us regarding verse 2 when he starts off a sentence looking unto Jesus, or move your gaze away from one thing unto another. Well, what does the verse before tell us without looking, if you're taking notes, or you can go read it when you, when you get home, but he talks about how we're in a race, and how there are things that are to be fulfilled in your life, while you're here upon the earth, and he said, you're going to need to lay certain things aside that are not sin, but that can be distractions, and then there will be some sins that you'll need to lay aside. 
Why would he say lay distractions aside and lay sin aside? Because I can't really look to Jesus while I'm focusing on these other things. So for me to turn my attention away from one to another means I'm going to have to lay aside some distractions and God will lead me in that. He's wanting my faith and your faith to not just start where we heard a scripture, but to the point where it brings miraculous results. And in order to do that, you're going to have to move your attention away from some things that are not even sin, that are just distractions. They're weights. And some things are sin. You know, because you can't just look at the thing if God deals with you about something and go, well, at least it's not sin. I'm okay. But if he's dealing with you, it, it's for this greater purpose of the development and the results of, of this faith that will bring miraculous results. And it's interesting. I made this statement. He finishes that uh, the 11th chapter with the 12th chapter, first verse, and he talks about this great cloud of people who has already gone before us. And if you will go back through the 11th chapter, he talks about all kinds of people who literally prevailed and got miraculous results through faith. I mean stuff that you can't, you get thrown into a fiery furnace, you're not burned. Well, that can't happen. You know why that can't? It's because he said it would, but then people don't fix their gaze on it to keep it in their heart until they're so established that they don't care, they believe, and things work. I mean, we talk about parents who couldn't have kids started having kids. And if you go read Abraham's story in detail, you'll see God originated his faith by giving him a promise but the part of fulfillment and the perfection of his faith came as he considered not or focused not on his own body, but on the answer. That's how he looked at it. His faith didn't just go boom and bring forth the results. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it doesn't. But what are you going to do in the meantime? And that's what he's trying to teach here. What are you going to do with your attention? And if I'm holding on to certain weights the Lord dealt with me about, that may very well be not that God dislikes the thing you're doing. It just can be that it draws my attention so he can originate my faith, but he can't bring it to full, the full place where it produces results because a distraction is there. If you read the parable of the sower, that's exactly what he was saying there. People's attention can be drawn away, and then even though faith came, it doesn't come to the point of getting a full harvest. And so here he said this, looking unto Jesus. And I want to read the definition again. To turn the eyes away from other things and fix them. on something, on something else. Why is this such a big thing? Because most of us, if we've read the Bible, we know scriptures where it tells us, you know, incline your ears to my sayings. Attend to my word. In other words, read it. Incline your ear to my sayings, which means accept what you have read. Faith has now come. The very next thing he said is what? Keep it before your eyes so it stays in the midst of your heart. Because then it becomes life and health and strength and everything and sets your life up for success. You say, well, it doesn't say it exactly like that. If you read it in the Hebrew, it talks about when you keep the word in your heart and you look at it, it will set up the parameters of your life. That's why I just described different parameters. And it's interesting that it's not just hearing, it's what you do after you hear. It's what you do after you hear. 
I mean, you could say it like this. If you're driving down the road, if you look straight ahead or you've been on a windy road, you ever, you ever seen somebody who gets a, or distracted? And you're on a, if you're on a windy road, uh, you need to be less distracted, right? That's not the time to be texting. Why? Because your eyes are not fixed on the thing ahead, and you could end up going off the road, and it's nobody's fault but mine. But why? There was a distraction, something I permitted to be there. And in driving, the idea is keep your eyes on the path. Turn with me to Matthew's Gospel and the 14th chapter. Jesus is the author. Or the word is the author. Faith comes or begins when you hear. But he tells us there is a real factor in faith. See, the devil can't stop the word of God from producing all of its mightiness. So he can't stop it. So he's got to work, meaning the enemy... To get you to let go, give up, do something that causes it to be robbed. Are you with me? That, this is a huge thing because it can change by this simple principle. Remember, he's the author, the beginner, the one who starts it, and we get the beginning of it through hearing but then we need to come to the place where we bear the complete fruit of it. In other words, the miraculous results come forth. And anybody can do this. You don't have to be a spiritual giant. You just have to have some resolve. And, and this means you're going to have to, at times, uh, fight discouragement. That's going to want you to move your attention away from what he said to take courage from you, to take confidence from you. You're, you're going to have to deal with other things like, man, I'm really prospering now. Once you start seeing some of the blessing, now I'm just going to go buy every boat, every car, everything, and I'll see you in six months. Well, what does that do? Because, see, there are warnings once the, these things start working that we don't forget the Lord. What does that mean? It means you've heard faith, but now I've got my attention on other things because good stuff is happening. I've just relinquished self-control, and we are having a party. Well, no, I need to continue to keep not just having the origination of faith or the beginning of faith, but this part is to look away from other things. I'm not saying you can't have a boat or different things, but you ought to pray and know. Because God knows what a boat will do to you. For some people, it'd be no big deal. Other people, it could be it could be detrimental. So you can't you can't go to God and go, well, everybody else got a boat, Lord. You can't do that because you are different. I mean, you can't look at everybody else and go, but everybody else got a haircut, and he's like Samson. I already talked to you. Yeah, but what about everybody else? You see that guy? He had some kind of goo in it. Looked good though, Lord. He's like, I already told you, don't do that. Don't cut your hair, Samson. So you can't look to everybody else to find out the rules for yourself. I mean, think about it. Remember when Jesus uh, called his disciples and he took them before he was turned over uh, to be crucified? And he took them and he brought them and he made them sit in this one place. And then he took three of them with him and he said, come over here and, and, and you guys pray and I'm going to go over here and pray. Then he came back and only, he said, you know, if you read all the stories about it, he really only corrected one of them. Could, you know, Peter. Well, why didn't he say, how come nobody else is praying? 
And you know, these things will happen in your life where you're like, well, Lord, I'm a Christian. How come nobody else is reading the Bible? Or whatever. How, how come I have to do this? Well, the Lord knows what's coming and he can help us. Are you with me? And he knew what was coming for Peter and he wanted to help him. And he didn't want him to fall. But we know that he did because he didn't do what he should have. But thank God there was mercy there. But turn with me. Well, let's read this first. Because we, we, we haven't even gone through this. Uh, Matthew 14, verse 26. So individually, we just need to know ourselves. We need to know and be honest with our relationship with God. Are you with me? But notice this. And that's a huge thing. You have to be honest with your relationship with God. You know, because He'll deal with you about things uh, that He doesn't deal with others about. And if you're not, just keep being dealt with, just keep marching. But notice this, uh, Matthew 14, 26. This is a story, we're all familiar with it, or probably most of us have heard about Peter, who, uh, and the disciples are out in the boat, Jesus in the middle of the night comes walking to them, and uh, it, we're going to pick up the story there. They're in the middle of the, the sea, and there's storms. And it says in verse 26, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. And so would you be. Saying, It is the ghost. And they cried out for fear. Verse 27, But immediately Jesus said, Boo! No. Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. Be encouraged. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Now remember, we're talking about what if we don't see immediate results? Jesus originates our faith, or the Bible gives faith or starts faith in a person when you first hear it. But remember, he's the author and the fulfiller or completer, the one who brings it to fruit. Peter answered and said to him, If it's you, bid me to come or command me to come on the water. So he said, Come. So think about it. Jesus introduced and gave faith to him. He's the author of his faith. He's the author of his faith. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he's acting on what he's heard. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him, and said, O you of little faith, why, that's a question, did you doubt? Now, there's probably some questions that need to be asked. He said, why did you doubt? Was doubting stepping out of the boat? No, couldn't have been. Was doubting him walking on the water? Because he was doing it. Is that doubt? No. So those aren't the things that Jesus was correcting him over. Or saying, why did you doubt? And doubt means to question. And he said, why did you, why did you, why didn't he say you couldn't help it? But we get the answer his faith started, but he didn't see the complete miraculous fulfillment. And it wasn't because of God. And it's not because faith did not come to him. It's because he did not do what we read in Hebrews where it says to turn your eyes or look to the answer. He didn't turn his eyes away from one thing to another. 
At first he did, but then he turned his eyes away from what the Lord had said and put him on the problem, and it started producing worry and started producing fear, and it robbed him of his faith. And so think about it. Faith began, but faith was not completed. And we know that Jesus rebuked him. That doesn't mean Jesus was just angry at him, but Jesus is like, why? You could have not only done this for part of the time, you could have gotten miraculous results all the way through. But what happened was, Peter did something that is often done. People have the pressure of a storm that is facing them. And I mean, there's a real storm facing him. I mean, there's no joke. I mean, if Jesus isn't there and he sinks, uh-oh. But you know, we know Jesus is with us as believers, period, because he said when he sent everybody out into the world and he talked to us right before he went to heaven, he said, lo, I'll be with you always. So we're in the same condition. The Lord is with us. The Lord is in us. But did that stop him from sinking? No. But then what was the doubt that made him sink? Well, he turned his attention away from the, the command of the Lord and what the Lord said, and then he began to focus on the problem. And hey, problems have a voice. The wind was probably not just whistling some song everybody like, woo, 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 you know, it's a, no, it's a, you know, I mean, it's blowing, it's, you know, you're hearing all the storm around, and he didn't say that the storm disappeared and was going to disappear, the storm was there the whole time. When he got the origination and the beginning of his faith, he was in the middle of this same storm. The storm didn't just miraculously pop up. He was in the middle of this storm. He was conquering. He was living it out. He was getting results. And then the storm persisted. And he wasn't to Jesus yet. And he took his attention and moved it from one thing to another. And he started filling himself with the problem. And you know what happened? It filled him with fear. Not confidence, which is what faith is, which came to him. I mean, you got to be confident. Man, I can do this. To step out of the boat and start going. You've got to be confident. And he got the confidence from the one who originated his faith. And faith comes by hearing and he gave him a word. It started, but we can see he didn't do what happened or what was told in Hebrews 12. Turn with me to Numbers 21 in the Old Testament. Numbers. And we're going to look at another story. And these stories right here that I find interesting about them is they, weren't, they didn't get immediate results, but God wanted results. And that's what I'm saying. What if you don't get immediate results with something? Here's another thought. What if you don't need results right now? You know what you should be doing? Fixing your gaze turning it away from other things, getting in the practice of keeping your attention on the Lord. Because it's better to exercise and get in shape now than when you're in the middle of a storm. But you can still do it when you're in the middle of the storm. But what if I don't see immediate results? He's going to tell you. And, and here's the thing. I would rather have immediate results. Wouldn't you? <laughs> Bingo! And I know there are times we do get immediate results, but there were even times when Jesus prayed for some sick people. It said as they went, they recovered. I mean, you look at these different things. Uh, as the guy went, he had to go wash. He didn't see the results right away. But 
What if we don't see instantaneous results? Abraham didn't see instantaneous results. Sarah didn't see instantaneous results. Many of the heroes of faith that we see didn't see instantaneous results. But as they acted on this principle, they saw them. Notice this in Numbers 21, uh, verse 4. And sometimes I, I think it does service to kind of tell where the story is. Children of Israel have come out of Egypt. They've been under bondage. They have been miraculously brought out. They're going through the desert. You know, the party, you know, the, the reception's over. The honeymoon's done. You know, you know, where they got all their wedding gifts, you know. Remember, they went all to the neighbors there in Egypt, collected all kinds of gold and silver and all this stuff. And they're like, let's get out. We're going out. This is awesome. Isn't the Lord good? Woo! See how he did this? And, and they got healed miraculously then. It was instantaneous when they took the bread or took the lamb, you know, and did it and did that. Passover meal, and it said that they came out and there was none lacking. They came out with silver and gold, and there was not one person feeble among them. There was nothing wrong. So whoever might have been feeble got miraculously healed when the firstborn were killed, and they're all coming out, and they're like, woohoo, oh, Oh, this is just going to be easy. And God's just going to go boom. And then after the trip got a little bit long, few days, you know, we meet them in verse 4 of 21. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, Edom, and it says, and the soul of the people became a, a very discouraged. It says impatient. And, and it's interesting. We have to be careful about what we think about. Because you can get impatient it's because of internal things. Or here they got discouraged. It says on the way. And then stuff started dribbling out of their mouths. And the people spoke against God. Remember the one who brought them out with all the gold and the silver and none of them was sick? And they were, woo, God. Now they're talking against him. This is not old. Remember uh, the apostle Paul was used by God. We see different things that happened in the book of Acts. One time they had such a mighty miracle. People were like, Let's offer sacrifices to them. These must be gods that have come down in our midst. Just keep reading and then they're trying to kill them. I mean, people haven't changed. And it says, and so they spoke against God and against Moses, their leader. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt? Man, they must have forgot all the miracles, all the wonderful things. Why did you do this? They probably they forgot that for hundreds of years they were in slavery and that they were under a wicked ruler. And they, it's like it's almost as if they aren't even thinking about their salvation anymore. Not even thinking about that they've been delivered by God. And it says, "Why have you brought us up out of Egypt?" They didn't have to follow. First, they thought, this is a great idea. I got all this jewelry, all this gold. I haven't felt this good in years. No more back pain. You know, this is awesome. Everybody's feeling good. Here we go. And then they go through the Red Sea, and they're like, woo, yeah, you see that? Don't mess with us. And the whole enemy army is destroyed. And then look what it says. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water. Well, there technically was. They had just got tired of Donut Sunday because they had it every day. 
They had manna that rained down from heaven, and they got tired of donut Sunday. Like, we loathe these donuts. He calls it worthless bread. That must have meant there was no frosting on it. But I mean, think about it. I don't think that it tasted bad. They just were getting discouraged and they started looking at things the wrong way. I mean, tell me this. Why should we get tired of bread that we see appear that has never appeared before? We go out and gather it and then it just disappears. And, and you can't keep more for tomorrow because it will turn into maggots. But one day a week, the day God said it, it will last another day and we're loathing this. Boy, we should never get tired of the things of God. And if we get discouraged, we should be careful of our attention where we've got it. And it says, therefore, uh, it says, so the Lord sent fiery serpents. Really, he permitted them. I mean, in all reality, if the people hadn't done this, it wouldn't have happened. In other words, if you jump off a roof, you're going to fall. And um, here it says, I was going to make a statement. You could tell the head of the children's ministry is gone this morning. Did you know that? <laughs> they are. They're out of town. <clears throat> I don't know what your kids are going to look like when you go to pick them up today. Sure, they'll be happy, but other than that, hopefully you signed a release form. Um, or believe their clothes will be not... No, I'm kidding. But they loathing this bread. they speaking against God. They're speaking against the leader. Man, you got to be careful what we talk about. And there are reasons we talk. It's because something's happening in our soul. And, and it says, So the Lord sent or literally permitted these serpents among the people... And they bit the people, and many of the people died. Well, you're dismissed. No, let's keep reading. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we've sinned. In other words, we missed the mark. They recognized what they were doing was wrong. And you know, people do. And it says, we have sinned, and we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Then they said, Pray to the Lord that he would take the serpents from us. Notice what their prayer is. We need an instantaneous change. That's what we're wanting right now. Instant. Get this problem out of here. Now, it worked, in, it, it worked when they came out of Egypt, but this time they're like, here's our prayer request. Get these serpents out of here. We did wrong. We know it. Remove the problem. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, uh, or like a brazen serpent, and set it on a pole, and it shall be to everyone who is bitten, when he looks, notice, how does faith come? When you hear so God originated a plan of faith and gave it to them, but the plan of faith was not perfected in their life unless they fixed their gaze and they turned their attention away from the problem. And this is literally not a casual look at the serpent thing. And he said to him, Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at, looks at it, fixes his gaze, turns his attention away from everything else, and puts it on the solution. Because of they're getting bit by serpents. Think about it. They're getting bit by serpents. He said, make a brass one, put it on a pole, and show it as a dead object on this pole. And, and get your attention on that so they, faith came, but now he wants their faith to bring the full results. Now get your attention there and don't look at anything else until you see the change. 
Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus and the Bible quotes these verses about himself? He said, just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so the Son of God must be lifted up. What does that mean? They were told to not only just look at it, but fix their gaze on it. We've seen that Jesus originates our faith and tells us to continue to look at him. Why? Because he paid for everything. We have to look at him as though he's already done the work. See it as something done. Because that's how the Bible reads. That he has blessed you with all spiritual blessings. He already took stripes. He has already delivered you from the power of the enemy. But if I'm not looking at it and focusing only on it, I'll say, you got to take this from me, Lord. And he'll have told us, I've already done it. The faith came. The problem is, people sometimes, in the midst of it, say, I don't have the answer. And he said, I've given you the answer. Their gaze keeps going back and forth. They're vacillating. They're double-minded. They're holding to two opinions. That's why it said a double-minded man, don't let that person think he'll receive anything. Why? It's the single-minded one who gets the origination, origin of faith, and then it brings, is brought to fruit. Or the miraculous happens. Notice this. Verse 7. Therefore the people came to Moses. and We've sinned. He prays. He gets this. Verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent. Set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, uh, when he looks or fixes his gaze at it, he shall live or he'll be healed. Now think about it. The Lord didn't remove the thing instantly this time. What am I going to do? Well, you got to think if you got if you got bit by a snake and you got snakes crawling around and your legs swelling up and there's there's nothing anybody can do they don't have snake bite kits you know what i mean and then the lord's solution is you have to look at this and there is no other solution well you know that people are going to go ow oh, this hurts this hurts this hurts and he said, stare at this, it will change. Fix your gaze here, it will change. And it's more than a casual look. Many of the great people that we can read about in history, people like uh, Lillian Yeomans, who was a tremendous minister for years, she has books out there about healing. She had gotten messed up, had a nervous breakdown, got addicted to... Uh, like morphine and had health issues she basically what happened before well when world war ii broke out she uh was a minister had great things happening but here in the united states we started interning people if you don't know what that means we put people who were of asian this appearance we were putting them or descent japanese in internment camps because we were concerned they might try to turn on us because we were being attacked from without. Well, she never got put in an internment camp, but yeomans, she had some Asian background, you know, and so she started worrying and worrying and worrying because she got her attention there, had a literal breakdown, lost her hair, became all messed up, she tells in her story that she said, I don't know when I actually experienced full freedom because what I did was I learned to just get my attention off the problem and started fixing my gaze on the Lord. And then I looked and realized at some point uh, this had changed. My health had returned. I was no longer addicted. Same thing with the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance. 
He had an issue in his body. He was told by doctors, you're done. And uh, he started studying because he heard of miracles that were happening. And he came to the conclusion that the Lord had already done something for him. That he had already took his infirmities. So he went, to, he said, Lord, I'm going to share this with everybody. So he got invited to preach at a Bible study on a Saturday morning. He went and taught to these students. And he taught himself, took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And he said, I was terminally ill and the Lord has healed me. I took him as my healer. Well, some of the students came up to him after and said, hey, you want to go for a hike? And he realized all the symptoms were still in his body. And they had been in his body for several days. And he thought, what in the world do I do? I can't explain after teaching this. <laughs> so he just said, I'll go. And he said he fought all the way up the mountain to keep his attention on the answer. He said it would go back to his heart beating irregularly, but he would get his mind back on the answer and he'd declare, himself already took my infirmities. Now, he didn't say it out loud because these people didn't know. He said, I fought all the way up the mountain. He said, now all these years later, I have been free from that ever since that time. But he had to look beyond a casual gaze. Everybody here? Jesus said this, the good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And then it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That part from where faith comes and where faith is kept in your heart is some work. But it can be done. You can develop yourself all over the place. But sometimes you'll have to get rid of some distractions that are trying to take your attention. Everybody alive and well? There are good things for us. 